Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. I live in Washington, D.C. Everyone is hyper-credentialed, hyper-educated. And I do think we do need to reimagine in society who the leaders and experts are that we need to be listening to. Welcome back to episode 29 of What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Dominique James. Dominique is the founder and CEO of Politics With Purpose. Dominique's political career began as an organizer on President Obama's campaign, ultimately serving as Deputy White House Liaison to the Environmental Protection Agency. As you'll hear in this episode, Dominique's authentic connection to everyday issues and her comprehensive understanding of public-private partnerships propel meaningful and effective change, and she is particularly passionate about closing the race and gender wealth gap. In this episode, we talk about communications and PR and how everyone needs to be thinking about their personal and organizational brand and stories. We often think that PR is just for those big organizations, but Dominique demonstrates that we couldn't be more wrong. We are all everyday experts, as she calls us, that have insight and lived experiences that matter, stories that need to be told. And we need to learn how to tell them and get them out on the platforms that are most aligned with our work. PR isn't just about getting some 40 under 40 Forbes announcement. It's about strategically sharing stories in ways that move the needle, activate communities, and build movements. Dominique really shifted the way I think about PR and thought leadership and gives us some very tangible takeaways for what every nonprofit can be doing right now. So let's jump into the good stuff. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with Dominique James. Dominique and I met, gosh, almost a year ago now, maybe, which has been so exciting to follow your work and to connect in a number of different ways. And I'm just so thrilled to have you here with me today. So thanks so much for joining. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to talk to you and your listeners. So let's just start with you introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brings you to your work and what does your work look like in everyday practice? Excellent. My name is Dominique James. I'm the founder and CEO of Politics with Purpose. We're a political communications agency based in D.C., but I work with phenomenal change makers all around the country. And I do what I call is help leaders rise. So that is raise their influence to serve and empower others in media, in politics, and in philanthropy. And the reason why I do that is because just the world is a hot mess right now. Let's just be honest. And someone for me, I grew up in like a low income background and I'm really, I always say I'm an example of what happens when society gets impact right. 
So even though I grew up in a poor family, I had the federal Pell Grant, I had scholarships, I was in mentorship programs, you name it, I participated in it. And it allowed me to go from a poor family to working for a U.S. president. And I don't think that what happened to me should be a unique story, right? That should really be the norm if we have public-private partnerships that are really meeting the needs of people, especially, I'm sure I was considered an at-risk student. But in order to do that, I would say something we're missing and what I'm really excited to talk to you about today is we really need to elevate or help everyday experts, as I call them. So these are the people with not only that lived experience, but also that issue and local expertise. We really need them to be the voices that we listen to that are you know, featured in the media, helping write and craft policy, because then we're going to be able to fill all those blind spots that we have in society and really get social impact right. So that's why my you know, firm is called Politics with Purpose. I really do believe that politics is a vehicle through which we can address a, a lot of our challenges in society. And I'm excited to help folks who are doing the great work on the ground get recognized as the leaders and the change makers that they are. Mm. There are so many directions I want to take this conversation, but perhaps let's just start with defining a few terms that come up in your communications work a lot, like PR, public relations, press, even maybe the way you talk about influencer. Can you talk us through how you think about those different components and even maybe take us a step back and say, like, how do we as the everyday sort of consumer of information validate expertise? Where do we look for expertise? How are we learning? Because it sounds to me like a big part of your work is saying, okay, this is where people are really being influenced. And so what are the voices? Who are the voices on that platform? And But who belongs there? We absolutely need to be disruptors and disrupt politics as usual, philanthropy as usual, I and mean, even media as usual. So one of the first places that I like to start with everybody is, or every all the clients that I work with is understanding and really embracing the fact that you are an expert. And not only are you the expert, but you are actually the secret to social change. And I know for the phenomenal people I work with, I imagine for everyone listening to this podcast now, we are addressing education equity, economic inequity. I was just on a call with a coalition earlier today. They're organizing around childcare. We're solving a lot of these issues that keep holding people back and really society from reaching its full potential. And so first, when you see yourself as an expert, when you see yourself as the gift or the person who has the secret or the answer to our problems, I mean, it then becomes a no-brainer and why you need to raise your influence, not only in the media, but in all of these necessary sectors, because if we keep listening to the wrong people, we're going to keep repeating the same mistakes. And this is why we sit around and we say nothing's changed, right? Because fundamentally, the people who are making the decisions or the stories that we're telling, uh, we're overlooking that. So one of the ways we can do it is in the media. And I'm going to use media very, very broadly. But when I do a lot of media training with organizations, you want to look at it like a landscape. So when we say media, broadly think TV, print, digital, any medium where you know people, any communication platform, I should say. 
And at least how I look at the world, you typically have your DC insider policy kind of media landscape, which you may need to address. Then you may have your general public, right, landscape. You may have an industry or a niche kind of landscapes or other people in your world who you may need to influence or communicate your message with. And then there's also the social media landscape, right? So traditional news landscape and then a social media landscape. So I'll use media broadly, but if you want to think of it like any way in which that you are disseminating or communicating your message, you should absolutely you know, be there, which is why I think communications is so fundamental to the success of, I know, political and advocacy organizations, but also the nonprofit organizations that I, I serve. Mm. And do you see, I'm just curious, do you see a lot of resistance sometimes in the nonprofit sector from valuing PR work or communications work in that way? Uh, Yes, I think it's twofold. One, I don't think that people see themselves as the experts. I was joking with a client the other day and I was like, I just want to kill the word, like to kill the phrase community service, like death to community service. Because I think it has all these connotations of we're doing this, you know, not it's like a charity, if you will. And I think sometimes when you think of your work as like a charity, you lose the intentionality right behind it and the real power and purpose of why this work needs to be done. And in the media, a big secret, especially when I'm pitching journalists or stories or activation events, they are always looking for experts. And when I'm sure we'll dive into how to tell your story and whatnot, but I can tell you the world is actually looking for you and your expertise and the work that you do and why it's important. And so for nonprofit leaders, I think, yes, there is a stigma of one phrase I always uh, hear people say, I just feel like the best kept secret. Or we're doing the work, but this other organization got the credit or this organization is so much bigger than us, but we're really doing that one thing that's making a difference. And it's not that you want credit from a pride perspective, but I I think that people want credit to be seen and to be heard because fundamentally they can contribute to that conversation, which is why I like to call that influence and not necessarily charity or service. As we're doing some really, really important work to hold society together at this point. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I also like if I could get rid of any word, it would probably be charity. Because this is why we're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but we're like, feel it. This is not yeah, not charity. We are very yes. intentional action. We are doing this with a purpose. Like very driven. And we're writing wrongs. Like, I think the thing that's really important about that language, this sort of like community service, charity, it doesn't really acknowledge the reason why we're there, the reason why we have to do this work, that things have been taken away, that people have been disenfranchised, that people have been marginalized by these systems. And I think that can be really problematic too, especially when we talk about, I mean, when when we're talking about these subjects, but also like volunteerism, it's interesting, like in reform Judaism, my family is Jewish. There's this term tikkun olam, which is one of the pillars of the 
cultural practices, and it means repairing the world. And it is the basis of community action and social change in that culture. And I go back there a lot because it's, yes, there are things to be repaired that we've broken, that we've messed up as humans, maybe not us personally, but sometimes us personally, right? And so I really like the way you challenge folks to think about the terminology they're using and the implications of that. Oh, th- again, this is why we're here and maybe breaking news. I Maybe this will be a TED talk of mine one day. But if you really think about it, if society were doing things right, we wouldn't necessarily need a philanthropy industry. If we funded education equitably and kids could go to school and get an education and it wasn't dependent on your zip code or all of these other loopholes, we wouldn't need nonprofit organizations that specialize in bridging the gap. Or if we, you know, housing and you you just pick an issue. And it's like, if we actually did things right, I'm hearing my grandma in my head right now, do it right the first time. We wouldn't have to go back and really do all this patchwork. I, I really feel that sometimes we take society, maybe it's low expectations or intentional negligence with some issues because we're really setting our sights too low. But when you attack an issue head on, and I'm thinking of some organizations that I work have worked with, a nonprofit, phenomenal nonprofit called College to Congress. It provides all expense paid internships for students, for Pell Grant students and other students from underserved communities to intern with a member of Congress. And the reason why this organization be provides fully funded internships. So they're covering transportation, housing, clothing stipend, food stipend. Like the students don't have to come here and work a second job so that they can focus fully on this internship experience. And for those of us who I believe in hard work, I've had to work two and three jobs at one point in my life, you really have this trade-off. But if we do things right, if we create a way for students to have the true access and have true equity. I mean, there's just phenomenal things that they can go on to do. And that nonprofit in particular, in the span of just three, four years, I've seen people go from congressional intern to running for office and becoming elected as a commissioner, go from a congressional intern to another student just got into Harvard. So from college to Congress to Cambridge, from college to Congress to a commissioner. And the sky is really the limit, but it all came from solving that true problem and really opening the door, not cracking it, but really opening the door so that people can flourish. And that's been my experience and why I'm so passionate about working with those everyday experts and those change makers who are doing things right. Mm. Okay. So I want to talk about this everyday expert piece and how it relates to nonprofit leadership and something we often see in nonprofits, particularly when founders are transitioning, but sometimes it happens when just an executive director has been there for a long time, right? One of the big fears around their transition is that everybody knows them and is giving because of them. And so almost to the point where they perhaps have have some fear around the way they've leveraged themselves as the everyday expert instead of the organization as the everyday expert. And I think in your work, you really do both, right? Like you help elevate thought leadership 
from individuals, but you also do it in a way that's sustainable for an organization. So even if a person moves on, that thought leadership stays with the organization. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. And I was like, now we're getting, so I think a, something I would encourage your listeners to do, and again, here's where I start is fundamentally with branding. So you as an individual are a brand, my everyday experts, they, you know, as leaders are brands, and then they're also branding a movement and that movement can vary. And I think someone who's done this beautifully is a woman named Reshma Shijani. I used to work with her, but for those listeners who may not know her, she's the um, founder of Girls Who Code. At the time where I was introduced to her, she was a political candidate and then ended up starting Girls Who Code after the race. But I think she beautifully illustrates that because she started Girls to close the gender equity gap in tech. And she did this with she herself not being a a tech or coder person, but really took on this organization on and it's a household name in that industry. And she's recently transitioned out of the role and something that I've seen her do now, she's taken on, she's written several books around other issues that are still in that wheelhouse, but fundamental to who she is. So one of her books is called Brave, Not Perfect, right? So it's embracing failure as a key to success. Now I know that she's championing paid leave and other childcare issues. And it's still within her brand and wheelhouse, but it no longer associated necessarily with Girls Who Code. And I believe it's been several years, maybe seven, 10 years since the organization has been around. Uh, Fact check me on that. But she's transitioned out and found new leadership. Just yesterday, we saw that Jack Dorsey stepped down as the CEO of Twitter, but Twitter's not going anywhere. He has several other ventures. And so when you, again, brand yourself and you know that issue or issues that are important to you, that change you want to make in the world, that's what you want to carry with you. And then your organizations, your job titles, your books, whatever it may be, those are just vehicles by which your core purpose is manifesting itself. If you're a good leader, and if you built a good organization and have a thriving movement, it should live beyond you because that's what legacy right, is about. And so that's ultimately, I think, what people like the Rashma Shajani's of the world, the Jack Dorsey's of the world, just some of those household names, people who've the Oprah's of the world who've built brands and movements, they're constantly manifesting their purpose in different ways. And it's not restricted to one organization or one entity. I love that. And I think it's helpful as you think about the storytelling of your personal brand, that your work with a certain organization is a piece of that story. And so I'm sure there are content pillars that are aligned or mission pillars that are aligned, but they ultimately can both exist without the others in direct connection. I want to go back to something you said earlier that I'm really curious about, which is, so thinking inside organizations. One of the things that you started off talking about is how often nonprofit leaders undervalue their expertise. And I also have seen inside nonprofits leaders sometimes who perhaps think of themselves too much as the expert 
over the expertise of their staff who perhaps have other lived experiences more closely related to the work that the organization is doing or in the community where the organization is working. How do you navigate that when you're brought into an organization to create stories or narratives or press around multiple people in an organization where they each hold an expertise that's critically important to the overall narrative. Does that, mm-hmm. does my question even make sense? <laughs> yeah. A couple of things are coming up for me and I don't know if it's navigating through your question, but this is probably going to sound like a shameless plug for us. But when nonprofit organizations, many companies go through hard times, I always hear that the first people to get cut are normally like the salespeople, the communications people. And I think that's completely ridiculous because in my philosophy, I believe that money and media are like the two things that you need. I always tell my clients, that's the gas in the car. And so when it comes to first valuing expertise, I think a lot of nonprofit organizations get stuck doing the work or the program, which is so important, but then you get stuck in being the best kept secret because you're not telling the story about why your work matters, the lives that you're changing, et cetera. So in my opinion, I would say let's prioritize like money and media because it will give you that, that fuel to continue to sustain your programs. So with that being said, I think how I've seen organizations navigate their staff expertise or what I think your question's asking are, do CEOs take on too much when they should lean on other people, other staff and their expertise to do the work? Is that kind of what your question's getting to? Yeah. Or even the thing that you said at the very beginning was around how critical it is that specific voices are heard when we're learning about different issues and that those voices are the folks who have either been most impacted by the issue we're learning about or are in closest proximity or, you know, I think that can look a number of different ways, but I really hear in your work, this desire for narratives to be centered around people who are the closest to the issue we're trying to solve. How do you elevate the voices of your different staff members who have lived experiences that actually make them the everyday expert on this issue, perhaps even more than you, executive director? Yeah, I think first and foremost, and this goes for everybody, I think you need to look in the mirror and we all just need to have some honesty and challenge our way of thinking and saying, am I really the best person to carry this message? And if not, who is that person? And I think a real example is something I hear in politics a lot. In progressive politics, it's a stereotype where people will say, Democrats are awful messengers, or they just are not good at messaging. And I'm like, well, it's a no-brainer, guys, because while we have phenomenally talented, good-willed people who are great at what they do, If you haven't lived this experience, you can't talk about it with the kind of color and clarity and authenticity necessary for somebody to know, hear, and understand that you know exactly what they're going through. I'm not picking political sides or anything, but when you really look at, okay, if we keep doing this playbook, we keep having the same people and staff, but we're not moving the needle, that's where that internal work needs to happen. And so that's where you first have to be honest. 
first tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. Are you really the person who has that clarity and authenticity with the work? Now, it doesn't mean you have to have that 100% lived experience. Again, in the case of Areshma, like she wasn't a coder, right, operating it in this tech space, but she was exceptionally well-versed in gender issues, equity issues, and the economic significance of having a generation of girls enter the sector with jobs that start at, in many cases, $100,000, you are fundamentally changing the financial trajectory of a family. And so I know that was the core driver in a lot of this work. And she obviously had a background that could connect in different ways to that experience. But you should absolutely, and I think this is where, when you're an honest leader and a humble leader, this is where I believe it becomes easy then to empower those people who can carry the message so much further than you can. And I see this in this trend in social media a lot. In addition to my role, I'm also a political advisor to BuzzFeed's digital team. And something we talk about regularly when we're sitting down with political candidates, advocacy organizations, public affairs groups, is like the importance of this micro-influencer. And in this crowded communication space, especially in the internet, when disinformation is at an all-time high People are filtering out information and they're looking for someone to trust. And so brands, I think, look to BuzzFeed because they know that you have a pulse on culture and society and digital, and you're a way more effective messenger than I could ever be. And you would be surprised at some of the clients that they work with for some of their digital campaigns. And BuzzFeed is the one carrying their message, but it lands with the people it needs to land with. And there's no ego in that in the corporate space. But somehow in this kind of social justice, goodwill, do-gooder space, I wonder where egos come into play, where you actually want the credit or you want to be the face. When we're actually looking and saying, how can we be more effective in moving this message forward and getting it out to the masses? Because that's going to make all of us look a little better. So it starts again with, I think, just brutal honesty. Hopefully in this podcast, you can hear that I'm a pretty straight shooter. And I think when you're honest, that's when it allows you to have the clarity and see where your gaps are. And the next step then is going and actually empowering the people to be the decision makers or to tell their stories instead of you being the sole messenger. That is so good. I love so many things about what you just said. And I think that you're bringing up this really interesting point around ego. And it's so interesting because so many of the things that you're talking about, I see both sides. 
we're talking about the leaders who are afraid to call themselves the expert, right? Who I talk a lot about visibility challenges that many leaders face of discomfort being visible and the way that perfectionism can play into that. And so my guess is that a lot of what holds certain folks back from calling themselves an expert is that they're like, well, there's got to be someone out there who knows more about this than me. And so that quest for perfectionism then gets in the way of them ever showing up as fully as they can. Yeah. And fundamentally, I guess that's what my work is about, right? Redefining who we consider experts. And looking in the advocacy space, I remember this report I saw, like make it up. It was some like Ivy League university had published this report and it basically boiled down to the fact that housing is too expensive, life is too expensive and people can't afford to live. And I was like, slow clap guys, duh. And if you spoke with regular people, we didn't need to commission this $100,000 study to go find out that life is too expensive for people right now. This is, again, why I think it's so important for people to do this shift and say, actually, you are the expert because what's happening is you have these people and God bless all the researchers and the doctors and the PhDs. And I live in Washington, D.C. Everyone is like hyper-credentialed, hyper-educated here. So, which is good. We actually need smart, well-studied people influencing decisions. But when that person is talking about an issue, whereas if you, again, look at yourself as a nonprofit leader and expert who's probably working 100 billion hours a week, you see this issue day in and day out, and you know the actual stories and problems and where people are actually still stuck on these issues... I would argue that actually makes you the expert on the issue. And because you're speaking about something that people are only reading about, and you can actually, again, bring these issues to life. And so it really does start with you acknowledging and embracing the fact that you are an expert. And I would hope you would consider yourself an expert if you are working, again, you have a full-time job and whatever these issues are, you see these issues day in, day out, you're changing and transforming lives. You absolutely can sit down and speak with authority about what's missing and what needs to change. I can tell you when I'm pitching leaders to the media, one of the first things that I have to be able to do is explain like who you are, why you're the person they need to be talking to, and why your work matters. So if you are not an expert or if you cannot talk about your issue with some clarity or authority, then yes, this is why you'll continually be overlooked in the media and with all of these other opportunities because you're fundamentally telling the world society that you don't know what you're talking about and what you're doing. And that clearly is not the case. So it again starts with that shift. And I do think we do need to reimagine in society who the leaders and experts are that we need to be listening to. Mm. I'm so glad we went back there because I think what you're talking about is so, so, so important. And one of the challenges inside the nonprofit sector here in particular, I think, is 
there's stigma sometimes around nonprofit employment. I mean, I heard so much throughout my career. Oh, Mallory, like, why don't you go work at Google? Like so-and-so you're so capable, all this stuff. And I was like, what do you think I'm doing over here. And I just think there tends to be, and some of this is rooted in the history of the nonprofit sector, that it was a way in many ways to get women out of the workforce post-World War II so that the men could go and reclaim their jobs. And so it was this third sector emergence that felt less institutionalized. I think what you're saying is really important because I see this both and here, right? This like, no, you don't need to go get a postdoc to be an expert in something, or maybe you do in a particular field (laughs) because I shouldn't be giving certain information out, but it's not the only way to be an expert. And I have such respect for your work because I see the way you're elevating leaders to own their expertise And you're disrupting the overall system to say, we need to think about experts differently. And so talk to me a little bit about how you pitch media that you feel like is really different from perhaps how other PR folks are pitching the media in terms of the credentials or experiences that you're really elevating when you go after those spots. Yes. I want to add one quick thing to what you said. I've heard this before, and you can obviously speak with more clarity, but I heard that nonprofit is really a tax status. You are actually the owner of a business. And after I shared that with one of my um, nonprofit leaders, she actually changed her, you know, from president or executive director to like president and CEO, because she mentally wanted to embrace the fact that I'm actually building a business. And when you shift from, again, we're killing the word charity on your show. So if you shift from, oh, I'm doing a charity, it's community service and my free time to actually know I have a business that has employees, we have sales goals, we have a communication plan. Uh, When you really professionalize it, it fundamentally changes how you operate. And I believe, especially as an entrepreneur, even though my vehicle is communications, I'm not wasting time. I am always about my business all day, every day. So I just want to touch on that because I actually think it's such an important, we need to value our work and shift how the industry looks and operates. And I would also say that there's nonprofits that have millions of dollars, I mean, completely massive organizations. And so when we take on that abundance mindset of what's possible in the work that we're doing, it should be the norm to have 10 million, 100 million, whatever the size of the nonprofit organization, if you build your business that way. You keep it at community service level, you'll have community service results. But if you're looking at it like I'm doing community impact and changing the world through this business vehicle, I think those organizations have that shift in the workspace accordingly. So that is maybe another session that we'll talk about professionalizing the industry. But when it comes to PR and how I pitch organizations and nonprofit, again, there's a few key things. And where I start with every organization is one, you need clarity on who you are and what you do and why it's unique. So in the sea of nonprofits in whatever the issue is of K through 12 education, of economic empowerment, every organization is asking for money right now. 
what makes you different and what makes you unique. And that's something that I have to be able to answer as a comms person, but also that's something that you as the expert and the leader have to know. Why should I give, again, it's all about sales, right? It's, you think you're doing comms and PR and charity, life is actually all about sales. And so I need to be able to know and sell like what makes you bigger, better, faster, unique than the competition. After that, the second way in which I just distinguish organizations that I work with, and this is really my sweet spot because it's anchored in my lived experience, is I'm always trying to find, okay, well, what makes you that everyday expert? So where can I match your professional expertise with either your lived experience or that issue expertise? So I have, I'm thinking of an organization now, I have a nonprofit, a client, that works with at-risk black and brown teen girls in middle school and high school. And in particular, this nonprofit leader was raised by, she's the daughter of teen parents. And so it's this nice full circle moment whenever I pitch her to the media, because I'm able to say, not only is she the leader of this organization that is impact helping at-risk black and brown girls reach their full potential, but she's lived it too because she's the daughter of teen parents. And so she knows the exact issues and she was a first generation college graduate and did all of these phenomenal things. And it really, in the media or journalist's eyes, it really says, oh, okay, this person is unique because then I get a two for one, right? I know somebody who can, again, talk about the issues and why it matters, but I know someone who's going to have a really, really beautiful story that they can add to this, or in the media, we call it like that human interest element and really make it sound like a person and not just like a research in a textbook. So I do that with not only the principles of the organizations, but I'm also always looking for program participants who bring your impact to life as well. Last month, I think it was like National Bully Prevention Month was relatively recently. And so I'm looking again through a curriculum and saying, okay, do we have anyone who's overcome bullying or taken on these issues and can really bring it to life as well? Or whatever, whatever you know that issue is, I'm always saying, okay, how can we bring this story to life and really put everything in a really nice package, a one-stop shop for media and journalists. So that's a little crash course in how... PR works behind the scenes, but ultimately it's about sales. <laughs> I love that I'll put more people in PR uh, or scare them away, but I'm just like a professional salesperson for good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and social justice is, is what I do. So, okay. I want to ask you two maybe specific questions about what you just shared. So one is when you're thinking about the publication that you're pitching to, What is your process of figuring out the right alignment in terms of the organization in that publication? Are you always going, okay, we want Forbes and Harvard Business Review and things like that? Or how should nonprofits think through like, where's the right place for them to be seen? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Another great question. And now I just... You thought you got a comms person, but you really have a salesperson. Because this is where I encourage my organizations to be really strategic. Or I should say, I'm really strategic in how I build out their communications plans. I personally don't believe there's a place for like vanity and PR. And, you know, I've had organizations featured in Fortune and Time Magazine and New York Times, major publications, top publications in the world. 
I love it. They deserve it, especially when they're like local community nonprofits who never even imagined that as possible. And it's like, okay, you're in Time Magazine today. Great. Now let's leverage it. But anyway, so there's definitely a place for the big name, high visibility publications. But where I actually like to start, and this is where I think strategy is so important and where I think you and I are really aligned in how you do your power partners formula because you got to get crystal clear in like what your organizational goals are and who you actually need to talk to. And that's where you're able to filter out all of the clutter and the noise. Because if our goal is to, thinking of an organization, another client I have um, that works with parents. So if they have a goal where they're doing, I don't know, a membership drive or an advocacy initiative and they want to recruit parents, then that's going to give me um, some direction on the kind of publications outlets, even media attack, even the content, right, that I need to create because I'm ultimately thinking about my customer who is parents at the end of the day. When I'm thinking about we want to do some thought leadership and get in touch with potential funders, I need to go find the publications that these executive, those decision makers are reading. And it may not be Teen Vogue, right? We may need to go get in the Washington Business Journal or whatever the local business journal is. We may need to go get in a Forbes or get in a different industry-specific publication. So this is why, again, it's important to professionalize the work that you do and really know what you need to accomplish as an organization and have clarity on who your customers are because the media is really the media and the publication then is just a bridge to your end customer. And that's really, again, the secret of what I do when I'm building these strategic plans, because I'm like, okay, who do we actually need to get in touch with? Who do we need to reach, whether it's in the media, on social media, and then go find those decision makers and create content for them. So just tell me for a second, backing up, if you are going to be creating a PR strategy for an organization, what are some of the initial things that you start to think about to help them navigate that folks who are listening to this can take and think about the year ahead? Excellent. So when it comes to communication strategy, there's a couple of things that I I always think about. One, I need clarity on the organization. I always say, give me an organization calendar so I can see what's going on, when some of your key moments and activities are. I also look ahead to the world calendar and the media calendar. I try and look three, six, nine months at a time so I can get a really, really good understanding of what's happening in the broader universe and how I can tie the work that you're doing to the work that the world will naturally be talking about. Moments or activities where you can insert your work maybe Black History Month, it may be March and April and the start of spring and how you can insert yourself into those narratives. And after I take all that information in and get clarity on that, that's where, again, I go to the fundamentals of the pitch and what I teach about in some of my group programs and training where we need to understand and get clarity on who you are, why the work that you do is so unique, why your impact's unique. And again, marry it and match it with the perfect journalist, that power journalist partner. Maybe I'll still like your name, your power partner journalist or media publication so that it really becomes an effortless sell, if you will, or pitch to the media. Okay. 
I love what you're saying. And I know we're almost out of time. So I will move on to our (laughs) I know it's just flying. But there are a few things I just want to double click on that you just said. One is that I say in fundraising a lot, not all money is created equal, right? Like you want to find money that's in deep alignment with the work that you're doing. And I feel like that's what you're talking about here too, in terms of like press and media, right? That the more alignment that's there, the more beneficial it's going to be. The other thing I really want people to hear, especially folks who are inside Power Partners, is that I think what you just highlighted is what to do when you have an asset gap. So inside Power Partners, I have people asset map all of the different assets associated with their organization. And I walk them through this process of funder lenses. So I understand all the different things that funders are looking for and how those align with different assets that they hold. And what I think you just said that is brilliant is let's say you're an organization really struggling to create relationships with a certain type of corporate department, whether it's a corporate social responsibility department or the marketing department or the foundation, for example, and you see that you have a certain amount of assets, but something big is really missing there. That's where I think this strategic PR and media can really come into place with an expert like you is to build out that asset line to create a really clear bridge to then be able to go to the funders and highlight that piece of media or you're getting in front of them organically. So I just think that's such a brilliant and fairly easy when you think about asset building from an organizational perspective, a fairly easy way to help strengthen the offer that you're putting in front of different types of funders. But now you're ready to take my job, but you, you absolutely, uh, we are, we're so aligned. And in some of my group programs where I teach, you know, organizations how to do this, where they don't have the capacity necessarily to hire a full-time comps person, some of this you can actually do on your own, but it absolutely gets down to asset mapping and under creating that gap, just as you said, of understanding what you bring to the table who needs to hear that? I don't know if you've done the math, but this just inspired me as I heard you talking about your program. I'm sure you have a phenomenally high success rate in terms of your pitching and development asks. And it's because you've done all of this strategy on the upfront side. And I'm sure um, your funders are like, oh my God, we've been looking for someone like you. I do some fundraising in in my uh, firm as well. And I'm connecting funders to aligned organizations. So like, oh my God, this is really a no-brainer. And now I'm inspired to look at my pitch success rate. I imagine it's really high because I just have that clarity going in. I know the publication, the reporter, what moves them, what they like to talk about. And I know exactly what, again, what makes my organization unique, why my everyday expert is the exact person that they need to talk to. And it just feels very effortless, but also it feels really good to actually pitch that story because I know this is something that we absolutely need to be talking about. And that's something that journalists and media professionals tell me all the time. Like, oh my God, this is great. This is exactly what I was looking for. And one of the few things that I say to them is thank you for helping elevate this story and tell this issue. We, we have been trying to do this or this organization has been trying to highlight this specific problem. So it just becomes a common sense, really effortless sale, if you will. And that's fundamentally what our work is about. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think just to drive it all the way home, what we're both starting with is alignment. You know, in fundraising, so often what happens is people start with the money first. So tell me about all your wealthy friends. It's like wrong question, wrong question. That's why you've heard crickets on your board for five years. But when you start with alignment, you're right. You're having those conversations where it's just clicking. It's so easy. It feels so good. And it's like, you're doing the same thing. You're not saying what's the most watched TV station, but I'm sure you have people who come to you and they're like, I want to be in Forbes and I want to be in this and I want to be in that. But it's like, why? Like, where is the alignment? And if you actually start with alignment instead of the things that make us satisfy those ego pieces or feel like the shortcuts or the old school way of doing things. I mean, I think that's the other thing. You are disrupting this industry by saying there have been some old school ways of doing this and having the same voices just getting regurgitated on these same platforms all the time is just leading to the same problem, which is exactly what I've been saying in fundraising. So we could literally talk all day. Um, That's but- follow-up podcast. <laughs> yes. We're out of time. Yeah. Yes. Please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can learn about these courses, how they can work with you. And then this is an optional question for you because I know you work with a lot of nonprofits, but I invite folks to share about a nonprofit that's near and dear to their heart if they want to have folks go and check one out. But as someone who works with many, I always give the out. (laughs) I'll start with that question first. If I haven't caught on, I definitely do everything with a sense of purpose in my business, but also alignment. As I shared, there's just so many stories that live within me, so many experiences that I have that when I represent organizations, it's really effortless for me because I can not only pull back on that lived experience and tell this story authentically, but I know we're connecting over some shared issues as well. So I don't want to shout out a specific nonprofit, but I will say that the work that I do, again, comes from my story. So I have worked on ballot initiatives surrounding community safety and public safety. I have a relative who has had over 20 interactions with the police all before the age of 30. And so just seeing that play out firsthand has really challenged how I think and view about public safety. I have an organization, again, that works with at-risk you know, girls. You heard me share about them before and having talking about the importance of mentorship and self-confidence, especially in those middle school ages. I also went to all women's college. So it's really, I align there. You heard me share about receiving the federal Pell Grant and how that was transformative in my life, but also receiving a full ride scholarship to go to school. And it was actually from an outside foundation. And I wouldn't have been able to attend Spelman had it not been for that scholarship. And really the financial burden and freedom that it gave me to focus on school and academics and not just survival. When you get rid of that burden, it unlocks so much potential in people. So that's why I'm passionate about, you know, issues like that. I could go on and on. Now I'm passionate about families. I have three nieces. I am like parents have put the world on their backs through this pandemic, caregiving, More recently, now that I have older relatives, that's something that I'm very acutely aware of and how I read a lot of stories now about it's the great resignation and people aren't going back to work. Again, I'm sitting here like, well, no, duh, guys, because they had to work. They had to take care of their relatives for a year and a half. 
and it fundamentally changed their lifestyle. And so they just can't plug back into the matrix. But it's a no-brainer, right? If you and they're not going to do it for pennies either, because their lives have changed and the financial responsibilities within their family have changed. So lots of phenomenal organizations. I'd love to talk with some of your members and see what aligns. But where people can find me, um, the name again in my agency is Politics with Purpose. Website is politicswithpurpose.com. There are several ways that we can work together, not only privately through some VIP impact days, but also through some coaching programs or group programs where we teach you how to you know, raise your influence in the media, especially when you uh, have a tight staff. My name is Dominique James. That's D-O-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. I always tell people, if you know how to spell my name, you know how to find me. And I hope that I get a lot of LinkedIn requests after this podcast goes live, because I know that the work that we're doing, again, folks have their head on the ground. We're doing the work. I'm ready to help you rise so that we can be the people who are really making the world better um, and helping us make better decisions. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and for this amazing conversation. I'm really so grateful for you. Thank you. Okay. Is Dominique amazing or what? I learned so much from this conversation and there are so many takeaways, but there are three points that I want to focus on around what she says when you're building a media plan. The first tip she gives is around having clarity in you. What makes you and your organization bigger, better, faster, and unique? You need to position yourself as different from other organizations that are similar to you. The second thing she says that I think is really important is how to match your professional experience to your lived experience. How can you make your personal story a part of your professional life? And how can you help connect in a more authentic way? The third thing is something we talk about a lot here. Think about your target. PR is not about vanity, but instead it's about looking for the right media outlets for you. Think about the ones who will be better to reach your target audience and send your message farther and wider. There were so many elements to this conversation that blew my mind. So for all the other takeaways from this episode, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. You can get access to everything right now, and you'll find more information there about politics with purpose and Dominique's incredible work and how to connect with her and work with her. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. you. I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.